in, in this section, really from 10 to 22, um, each proverb is really kind of a separate context. You can see some related themes that are kind of brought together in different parts of these uh, chapters, but, but to a great extent, you really have to kind of look at and think about each one separately. And proverbs are really rich and really deep. There's a lot of things to think about, plus a lot of applications to make, really from each proverb. And it's not like when you're studying a story, you know, you kind of tell the story, you kind of make applications and think about things from the story as a whole. But in these proverbs, it's almost like, well, you just, everyone, you know, it's kind of its own story. And so you kind of look at each one separately. I've considered this always to be kind of hard to know how to teach. You know, because I'm used to teaching like the story. Or if it's an epistle, I'm used to like teaching the, the train of thought, the line of argument or whatever. Can't really do that in Proverbs. Um, and, and yet these are really rich and really meaningful. So we need to take some time with each one. And, uh, you know, think about these as we go through them. Uh, feel free to offer some applications, some comments, some thoughts, and to some extent you may just have to do that as we talk about each one. Um, I'm not, it's kind of boring if every time I get done with a proverb I say questions, comments, so maybe I won't do that every time, but as you have things to say, you know, interrupt me and, uh, you know, we'll kind of talk through these as we go. But I do think there's a lot of real valuable lessons for us in here. There's some repetition, uh, which you would expect, but wow, there's a lot of different concepts and different teachings that are really practical and that we need. So uh, I'm just really impressed with Proverbs and, and I, I hope that uh, you will continue to <coughs> more and more so. Would somebody read chapter 12, verses one to three? Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. A good man will obtain favor from the Lord, but he will condemn a man who devises evil. A man will not be established by wickedness, but the root of the righteousness will not be moved. Okay, so verse 1 is basically uh, encouraging what? Not being stupid. Not being stupid. Any of you like being stupid? Don't answer that. Uh, well, how can we avoid being stupid in this problem? Appreciate correction and instruction. Yeah. Listen when somebody tells you you're wrong. And when somebody shows you how you need to change. You know, because rational thinking people, as opposed to animals or something like that, are able to evaluate their actions, they're able to consider criticism and change their course. It's stupid not to want to learn when you're wrong. If you resist rebuke and correction, what will you end up doing? Needing it again. Yeah. 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 You keep being wrong. You perpetuate the bad behavior or thinking or whatever. That's dumb. You know, why would you want to keep going down the wrong road? Well, why is it that we do sometimes want to keep going down the wrong road? 
You would think you would never want to do that. You'd always want to know so that you can come back to the right course. But why are there times that we'd rather just keep going down the wrong road? Pride. Pride because we don't want to... Uh, we're, we're wrong. Isn't that amazing? We'll continue to do more wrong just so we don't have to admit that we have been wrong. Does that make a lot of sense? Stop and think about it. What if you're driving and you, you end up down the wrong road and it's going east and you're trying to get west? I had a friend one time who was in another state who are, he was in Mississippi. He was trying to come to Alabama. And two hours later, when he uh, came to the Arkansas state line, uh, he realized he'd gone the opposite direction on that road. Uh, you know, wow. How many hours would you like to go in the opposite direction before you find out? You know, it, it, it doesn't make sense. Want correction. Want instruction. Want somebody to show you when you're wrong. Don't resent that. Love it. That makes you wise. Correct, Chris. Yeah, but uh, ignorance is correctable because it's just the lack of knowledge. <coughs> Stupidity is not. Yeah. Because, and I don't know if that's the way this was translated or not, but it appears, you know, they're stupid because there's no way to correct it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you don't ever improve if you don't listen to correction. It's like somebody who swallows poison and would prefer to let it take its course than to take medicine and have to say that he did the wrong thing. Is that what you do? You wake up and you swallow some poison and you don't want to actually admit that you did something wrong. So you just suffer the ill effects, whatever they are. That'd be dumb, wouldn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's really stupid to perpetuate some wrong thing just because you're trying to save face and not say it was wrong. You ever seen somebody like that? Uh, you know, my dad used to say, you know, you'd argue if you knew you were wrong. <laughs> you know, have you seen people like that? You know, most of them are uh, fairly young males. Uh, <laughs> 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 you know, uh, it, it, it got to be a joke in our house when Kyle was about 13, 14, 15, you know, and he finally got to where... Uh, you know, he would, he would make the statement, he said, there's hardly a day goes by that I don't speak confidently about something I know nothing about. You know? <laughs> and, uh, it's like, hey, we're showing you all the evidence this is, this is wrong, and you're still defending what you said. Doesn't make sense. Change. Yeah, I think that's a really wise proverb. It's just hard to apply because of our pride. Thoughts? Verse 2, just a very simple proverb. A good man obtains favor from God, but God condemns the man who devises evil. You know, God's judgment comes based on whether or not we do right or wrong. And there's no way to escape from punishment because God's the one in charge. Easy as not. You know, if it was man in charge, maybe you could deceive him. Maybe you could get by with things somehow. But it's not going to work like that when you consider the Almighty God who brings you to judgment. So, if you're not going to escape, you better learn. And then verse 3. 
he deals with, again, the wicked and the righteous, which, by the way, is a very common theme in this part of Proverbs. And what does righteousness do that wickedness does not? Root Yes. If you're well-rooted, what does that give you? Security. Security. Stability. Things we long for because we would like to feel like we're not just at the whim of every force and situation that comes along. It's great to have stability and being solid. Wickedness is a very insecure foundation to build your life on. But when you're rooted in God, you've got that firm, you know, placement. Really a great advantage to be righteous. Comments and thoughts on these three verses? Mike? That reminds me of the, the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount where listening to Christ's words and applying um, is like the wise man who builds his house on the rock versus the man who builds his house on the sand. And that t connects with verse 1, our willingness to receive instruction and apply it to our lives. And it reminds you a little bit also of Psalm 1, the difference between, difference between that tree firmly planted by the water that has the deep roots and nothing really sways it versus the chaff, the straw, that's at the total mercy of any breeze or wind that comes along. You know, people who don't have God, everything just blows them anywhere. They don't have anything to secure them in one place. But if you're with the Lord and acting righteously, no circumstance changes you. You're always solid and, and well-rooted. Much better life. <clears throat> you know, I've probably said this before, but uh, a number of years ago, uh, taught a man who had not been close to a Christian. And he, he had lots of issues in his life. And, and shortly, after, shortly after he was converted, we were talking about just how he's going to do some things. And he said, you know, I've come to realize being a Christian is a lot simpler. He said, all you have to do is just think about what does God want you to do. And you just do what God wants in every situation. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, that's what it is. And so it gives you a guide and a direction in everything. Every question is answered by what does God say? What's his will? And so nothing really changes you off course. Other thoughts? All right. Um, I think verse 4 is kind of a proverb to itself here. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. That's quite a difference, isn't it? From being your husband's crown to being rottenness in his bones. You think about those two a little bit. Think about rottenness in the bones. How would that be different from rottenness in some other part of your anatomy? It's your very structure. Yeah, exactly. It's your very structure. It's, it's deep. It's profound. You know, it's not just a superficial thing you can kind of, you know, scour away. 
It's, it's, the, it's your very person. And so this is basically saying your wife has a huge impact on you. It, great influence on you. It'll, she'll either be your crown. She'll, she'll be your honor and glory. Or she'll be like this disease that just affects the very essence of your life. Wow. So what should we get out of that, guys? <laughs> yeah, man. You know, as you get older, you see things differently. And just in the last couple of years, I've really thought about something because of some experiences I've, I've seen. You know, I've known some situations where there were... We, and this can go either way. I don't think this is a gender-specific thing. But I've known some situations where there are some really good young men, really good character, great, you know, um, ability, and just you really felt like they could really do a lot. Who ended up marrying some women that, as it's turning out, are really limiting to them because of their difficulties. And you feel like, whoa, here's a guy who had a lot going for him who's really impacted his own life by making a choice that wasn't very wise. And in one or two cases, it's like nobody realized that up front. You know, it's not all, you know, sometimes, you know, you see a guy, this, and like I say, this can go either direction, you see a guy who's, when he's about to get married, everybody's thinking, what are you thinking? You know, this is not good. But sometimes it's not like that. Sometimes it's like, well, yeah, that looks great. Then they get married, and after a year or two or three or five or ten, you know, they have realized, and other people start realizing, ooh, this wasn't very good. So you have to really, really be thoughtful and wise. Why is it difficult for us to do that? Why is it difficult for us to choose very carefully? Clouded vision. Yeah, what clouds our vision? Physical beauty. Sometimes. Sometimes it's that. You know, it, what, what's the... What do you think about somebody whose main thought when they're looking for a mate is somebody who's really pretty. What would you say about that person? The next one they're looking for will be the same way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. What's wrong with looking for a really pretty girl? It's not going to last. Shallow. It's not going to last, that's true. You ever known any really pretty 70-year-old women? Or maybe even at your age, 30-year-old women? You know? <laughs> Uh, somehow things start deteriorating and it's very, somebody said it's very shallow, it's very superficial. Wow! I mean, I don't know. Girls, what do you think? Would you, you know, you're, you're Christian girls and you think about things deeply. Almost all the girls are over here, uh, except for Tasha and Leanne. Um, you know, would you like a guy to be mostly impressed with how pretty you are. Was that what you would want? Don't, don't you think of that as being kind of shallow? 
Is that the best thing you can say about me? I'm just pretty? Not that you wouldn't like a guy to think you were pretty. But if, if that's the main thing he sees in you, it's like, whoa. And I don't know, guys, I mean, do you want the main thing a girl thinks about you to be, oh, he's really handsome. Man, he really looks good. I mean, again, that's kind of shallow. So that's not good. What are some other reasons besides physical beauty that we choose unwisely? John said we kind of get our thinking clouded, right? Well, physical beauty will, you know, while you're in love and, you know, you overlook all this other person's faults, then, you know, that's going to fade. And, uh, you know, just having a, a pretty spouse isn't going to really satisfy you. You know, you're going to get tired of them for all the other reasons. I remember years ago hearing somebody say, what makes a good date doesn't always make a good mate. <clears throat> you ever thought about that? What makes a good date? It's fun to be with. Fun! Yeah! Don't you like a girl that's fun? That's, you know, kind of exciting, you know, really, uh, I don't know, maybe she likes uh, the same kinds of things you like, she's adventuresome, you know, she, she just makes you feel good, and, and she keeps you laughing, and, you know, that makes a good date, and it's fun to be with. But not necessarily would that girl be the one that would be really cool to settle down with and try to have a family with. There's some deeper qualities that are going to be more important. Um, you know, I wonder sometimes if we don't just become really in love with the idea of being in love. And, you know, really determine, man, I want a wife. I want a wife. I want to get married. I want somebody to, I want somebody to love me and to care about me and all that sort of stuff. And you just kind of get desperate for that. Well, the problem is, you miss Mary and you won't even have that. <laughs> That's kind of a selfish attitude. Really, I think it'd be better if you were wanting to serve someone and you cared about them when trying to give yourself to them. But, but sometimes this, this just, you know, panic to have to find somebody. Sometimes it's even almost wanting to find somebody so that I see normal, so that I prove I can get somebody, so that, you know, I can, I can show that I'm attractive. That's really shallow. And so really think about those things. I mean, you know, you just really need to think about what impact who you marry may have on you. And if that's true with a guy looking for a girl, could the guy a girl marries have any impact on her? Yeah, among other things, she's got to submit to him. Whoa, what if you marry some really unwise, you know, guy who makes really dumb decisions and who's really headstrong about it and he's not likely to change? That could be misery. That could be bankruptcy. That could be, you know, just really difficult life. Think before you marry and really evaluate carefully. And I, I'm just really, I, I've gotten to where I'm going to be more cautious even in encouraging people's marriages and really be slower to say, yeah, that's a good thing because some that I thought were going to be aren't turning out that way. Other thoughts? 
Somebody read five to seven. The thoughts of the righteous are right. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. The words of the wicked are lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. Now, what's the common thread between those three verses? Murder. Murder? Yeah, there's even more common thread. The righteous versus the wicked. Yeah, righteous and wicked. In verse 5, it's what of the righteous and wicked? Thoughts. Their thoughts, their plans. In verse 6, they're what? Words. Their words. And in verse 7, they're what? Their end. Yeah, their destiny. And so, you think about their thoughts, that's about how things begin. You would always expect the thoughts and the plans to be a reflection of the character. How does a righteous person think? <coughs> Righteously. And a wicked person thinks wickedly. And, and their plans and their goals are just the opposite. You know, really, our thoughts will be a reflection of who we are and how we live. So, what is a wicked person mostly thinking about? Wickedness. Wicked stuff. But what is what? What's his? What's his principle for what he decides to think about? Self. Self. Yeah. Selfish. You know what he wants. What feels good to him. What about a righteous person? What determines what he's going to think about? God. Yeah. He's going to have his intentions and plans. Godward. And then you put those into practice. Verse 6, what do the wicked man's words do? They lie in wait for blood. What does that mean? They're seeking someone to take advantage of. Yeah, they try to trap people and, and victimize them. Whereas the upright's mouth delivers them. You know, the speech of the upright will, will be a blessing to others. The wicked man, what he says, hurts other people. And then look at their end. The wicked are overthrown and are no more. The house of the righteous will stand. In time, it's the righteous man who endures the wicked man's gone. Comments and thoughts on that section? All right. Um, would somebody read 8 to 12? A man will be praised according to his insights, but one of perverse mind will be despised. Better is he who is lightly esteemed and has a servant than he who honors himself and lacks bread. A righteous man has regard for the life of, an, of his animal, but even the compassion of the wicked is cruel. He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he for, who pursues worthless things lacks sense. The wicked man desires the booty of the of evil men, but the root of, right, of, of the righteous yields fruit. An evil man is ensnared by transgression of his lips, but the righteous will escape from trouble. 14. 14. 
A man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his words, and the deeds of, of a man's hand, hands will return to him. And one of the things that we've seen all through this chapter is lots of contrasts in the Proverbs. In chapter 12, every one of the verses is an opposite verse, except for 14 and 28. All the others are kind of one side and the other. In 8, you know, a a man who has insight and discernment will be praised. But one who's got a perverse mind, people will look down on with contempt. Verse 9, I really like this one. Do you understand what this one's saying? Yes. What's it say? <laughs> um, better is someone who has help and has a, uh, has a friend there to help him, uh, who doesn't think very highly of himself, than someone who is highly esteemed or a person who is thought of really highly of the lack of Yeah, it's in the ballpark, but I think we can get more precise than that. What? All right. Better is he who is lightly esteemed and has a servant than he who honors himself and lacks bread. Appearances are involved in this, I think. They are. So the guy who's trying, who's really worried about what he looks like to others, what does he do? Spends all his time worrying about what he looks like to others. Not just his time. <coughs> all of his <coughs> money. Exactly! Here's a guy who wants to look rich, who wants to impress people with with this facade of of having a, you know, being prosperous and successful. So he spends a lot of money on, you know, on looking good. He doesn't have anything to eat. Does that make a lot of sense? You know, he says, hey, it's better to be lightly esteemed, and you got a servant, than to honor yourself, but you have no food. <laughs> you know, it, people are like that. You know, people will put up a facade to impress other people with their social status and end up starving. You know, it's like, have you ever seen this? I don't know what you think about this, but have you ever seen people in real poor living conditions who have a really nice car. What do you think about that? What would the car get you? Attention. Yeah, won't it? Especially for a guy. Get you attention. I remember one time in Brazil, it's, it's interesting how cultures vary. There was a, a, a Christian young man in Brazil who had, he, he was really confessing to me. He just bought a, a motorcycle. And, you know, we were talking about the fact that he was way too focused on material things. And that's what I was challenging him with. He said, yeah, you're right. And he showed me this picture. He said, this is what I want 
if I had this motorcycle, everybody in town would turn their head when I came by. That's what he wanted. A motorcycle <coughs> that would turn everybody's head. How dumb. Now, if you can have that, I suppose, with the food, okay. <laughs> but he didn't care so much about the food, he just wanted to impress. It's like, wow, how shallow. But people are like that. You don't want to admit you have any needs. Who would want to admit, I can't afford this, when everybody's doing it? So here's somebody who can't afford to go out to eat, but they'll starve to death all week so they don't have to tell anybody that they don't have the money to go to the restaurant on the weekend with them, or something like that. It's like, better just to say, I can't afford it. Why are we concerned about impressing other people with our prosperity? They really don't care. <laughs> you know? if, if they really think you're rich, they're probably jealous. You know? Comment some thoughts about that. Let's see, I just have something similar to that. I remember uh, driving past a trailer park and I saw an H3 Hummer parked. Right next to it, I'm thinking, wow, you know, that's more expensive than the trailer that they're living in. <laughs> yeah. It could have been a visitor or something like that, but still, I just thought it was humorous to see a Hummer parked in one of the trailer park's driveways. Yeah. yeah like, on the way to work, um, there's a house that I passed that is this really run-down place, and there's always this really nice, shiny Hummer or limo outside of it, and it just makes you think, what's their priorities in life? Like, it's all, and they're right on the side of a busy street, so it's like... Are they part? Did they get that just so people would look at them? Pick reality over appearance. Isn't that a practical proverb? You know, and it, isn't it weird how human nature hasn't changed for a few thousand years? You know, look at ten. This is interesting. Someone has said, it's better to be a righteous person's horse than a wicked person's neighbor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, the righteous man treats his animals better than the wicked man treats people. There's just this spirit about some people that they just like to hurt things. They like, they like to be cruel. That's not a good heart. It's not a good attitude. So he says... A righteous man has regard for the life of his animal. But even the compassion of the wicked is cruel. <laughs> you know, and his most compassionate, he's cruel. Isn't that a contrast? Again, what would you say the basic motivation for cruelty is? The cruel man is mostly thinking about what? Himself. Himself, yeah. <laughs> Symptom of selfishness. Thoughts? <coughs> Look at 11. Here's, here's a good contrast. He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who pursues worthless things lacks sense. Now, we're kind of away from farming, but you can imagine how did they used to have to till their crops even in this country? On a mule. Yeah. That's not quite like doing it on an air-conditioned tractor. 
So, wonder how plowing was back in mule days. Well, Leanne's dad could tell you because when he was growing up, that's, that's the way they did it. And he's seen the changes over, over the years, but having started simply, he had that rooted in him. And so, you know, that, that mentality in terms of, you know, working hard, and getting by with little stuck with him all the way and fitting with this proverb he always had money because of the way he managed what he had he didn't live it up you know he wasn't out buying the new tractors with air conditioning and all that he was he was using the the, the older stuff because of where he began yes my father also started with mules and so forth as i understand um it's hard work you know, you can imagine that it's not fun, but here is the guy who has plenty of bread. He works hard and he's managed to eat versus the guy who pursues worthless things. I'm thinking about the guy who basically falls for the get-rich-quick schemes. You know, here's the guy who finds the easy way to make lots of money. Oh, just do this. You know, invest a few thousand dollars and this old this with no work. You're gonna be rich soon. <clears throat> how do those th how do those things usually work? Somebody gets rich off you. <laughs> yeah. Listen. How many people would go for a job where you work little and get paid a lot? Yeah. So if it really worked, why isn't everybody doing it? You know. Think. Yeah. It's a secret they're advertising on the radio for everybody to hear. <laughs> you gotta buy the book first. Yeah, exactly. And the kit, and this and that, and the other thing. It's like, you know, when they tell you this is, this is just an offer for a few people and they're advertising on the radio. <laughs> you know, it's like, huh. You know, it just doesn't work that way. Don't fall for those things. You know, these, these vain enterprises that are supposed to just, oh, this is wonderful. Work a few hours a week, gain $1,000 a month, thousands of dollars a month. It's like, no, it doesn't happen like that. You know, what works is hard work, serious, diligent work, and that builds solid wealth. The dream wealth, you know, doesn't fill your stomach. So think about that. It's a good lesson. And people are always falling for those traps, you know, that don't work. That it sounds like it will. What are, let's make that a little more practical. What kinds of jobs are usually advertised as being really good money for not very much work? Work at home. Work at home is big. There's another area of jobs that are supposed to be real. Do what? Real estate. Real estate. Yes, sometimes that's true because you yeah, flipping houses. houses and so forth. It's a precarious thing. Can work, but often doesn't. Computer work. Computer work. Yeah, maybe so. Selling some kind of product. That's what I was thinking. A lot of sales stuff, and, and they can make it sound good because you make so much on each sale. What's the problem with it? Yeah, you gotta find somebody to buy it. 
And in some of those things, you got you start with an inventory. Now here's this company, you're gonna make lots of money, it's like 50% profit. So you start with buying $1,000 worth of the product to resell. And then what? Someone. Yeah, maybe. Who's gonna buy it, your mom? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the thing. So many of those sales things, I bid on one of those one time. You know, I won't tell you what, so as not to incriminate uh, whoever gave it to me, though I don't think you'd know. But it's like, oh, this is cool. And I invested, I was just 250 or $300, because I thought, wow, this would be great. And then it's like, yeah, but who's going to buy it? <laughs> I didn't sell one. You know, and so I ended up with a 250 or $300 gadget for nothing that I didn't even use. <laughs> But it seemed like such a good deal because you make a lot of money on it if you could sell it. <laughs> John, that and that whole that whole uh, area of, of of job changes your attitude then about people. Good you, point. You may be you may have good sold point. all of your stuff and bought another three hundred dollars worth and sold all that. Two things. First of all, you're usually going to prey on your friends and family first. Yes. And, and now they hate to see you coming by because they know they're going to be asking you to spend some money buying something. Good and secondly, you're going to see every person as a prospect for buying your product. And, and that's all you begin to think about. You're consumed with meeting people just so that you can sell your product. And the sad thing about that is, first of all, that's a greedy, selfish attitude, but why shouldn't we have that attitude towards spreading the gospel? But you see that really, even with, with people who have that kind of mentality, they may say, well, I, I, this also gives me an opportunity to spread the gospel. What comes first is how can I use this person to buy my product? That's a very good point, and we probably all had the friend who was, you know, you almost felt used by, and what will end up happening? Your friend is selling widgets, and, and it's the greatest widget there's ever been, and all that. What, what do you end up doing when your friend tries to sell it to you? You buy one. You didn't want it. You can't use it. But you buy one because you hate to disappoint your friend. And now your friend, not only does he come back to you every time he gets another widget shipment in, but also, what does he want you to do? Tell your friend. He wants you to sell widgets for him. Now you can sell them. And all that, don't get into that. You know, and, and it is. That's a very good point. You know, it's not good when we start looking at people more as prospects for our widgets than for the Lord. And, and you just see a lot of complications in that. Just be careful. You know, I think the root of this is greed and laziness. We love the idea of getting rich with not much effort. The way you, you know, are able to feed yourself is by hard work. Don't, don't try to come up with something other than that. Wouldn't be good for your character anyway. What happens to lottery winners? Yeah, they go broke quick. Easy come, easy go. Much better 
to earn your bread by the sweat of your brow, by hard work, by, by doing a diligent job, it's going to be all better all the way around. Quit trying to get rich quick, Carl. I think you basically touched on that. It, what it does is it betrays uh, a love of money and at the very least circumventing the process that God set up as part of our punishment for sin. Uh, you know, you know you're working the sweat of your face. Yeah, it's really true. Yeah. I mean, it's not good for us. Would it be good for us if we could just, you know, I don't know, win the lottery? Idle time usually doesn't promote much good. Exactly. You, what would you do with all your time? Wouldn't that be great? You just didn't have to work. You just do anything you wanted to? Probably not. You know, it's usually a lot better for us when we are productively occupied. There's a reason why God said, if a man won't work, neither let him eat. Because we need to work. It's good for us. You know, a lot of times it's bad for people when they retire. So a lot of times when people retire and they die soon. Because work keeps them going. Now, you know, if somebody was really seriously going to retire and really give 40 hours a week to serving God and helping people, that would be great. But when we think about, man, I wish I could just all the time just do whatever I wanted to. Boy, that's horrible. It's not good for us. Really good thoughts about this. Do you see the practicality of these Proverbs? You know, do you see how much God understands us? You know, John. Just one more thing. If, if it good. sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And we have to let, latch on to that and not be deceived because everybody in this room will be approached with something like what we're talking about probably many times. Absolutely. And, and just like it is with drugs, the best thing is just say no. <laughs> He's telling you the truth. It's exactly right. I've, I've heard it. You know, I've been in Brazil. And people have come up with this or that that like, you know, several things. But, but one, oh, there's this American firm that's doing this and this. And this is going to be, it's like, oh my, no. You know, but there, if it's American, then it's going to be, you know, get rich quick. And so they sell things by the fact, oh, this is what happens in America. This is what everybody's doing there. And it's like, uh, yeah, everybody's getting, going broke there on this, or this isn't working there, or maybe I haven't even heard of it there. You know? <laughs> so it, it just that's a very, very good advice. And definitely say no. Don't ever do something just because, well, my friend wanted me to. You know, he wanted me to get into this because he needs so many people signed up under him and all that. Don't do go there. You know, because you're really helping him. Do the wrong thing. Or do the wrong thing. Much, much better diligent work to reap your reward. Of course, we're talking about a character issue here. I know two brothers in Christ that because they were diligent workers early on, they became extremely wealthy. And one of them actually, he had so much, he just retired and he started investing in people to be able to travel and teach the gospel. He himself traveled a lot to teach the gospel and he just lived off of the interest that was accruing off the money he had made. And because he had the diligent character, he continued in that diligence and other things. But if he had gotten it just for doing nothing, he wouldn't have had the, the, the character to, to use it well. Absolutely. And so the whole issue at back of it is, is the character. And, 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 you, and you know, in some ways, this is true in every kind of area. What about something like 
learning the Bible. What do you have to do to really know the Bible? Study it. Is there any quick fix to that? You know, here's this little answer book. Take that with you everywhere you go, and it'll answer all the questions. How well does that work? Yeah, but you know the Bible's a little long. You have to really study that. It's easier if you get it, you know, in these ten pages. <laughs> you know, we're all the time looking for an easy way to, to come into something worth a lot, and we don't have to put forth the effort. Forget it. It doesn't work. What about this even in that line? And I'm not totally against the concept it was used properly. But what about the guy, you ever, you ever gotten ready, you need to, you're scheduled to preach? I'm not going to preach, find a sermon outline book, and ah, I'll preach this. I'm not saying sermon outline books are all bad. But if you're using it as that crutch, now I won't have to study, I'll just say whatever this guy said. No. You know, even if you use somebody's help, you've got to be studying and learning and growing for it to be helpful to you. Any kind of scheme by which you accomplish something great with almost no effort, there's some flaw to that. And there's the flaw that you want to get something for nothing. That shows really a lazy spirit. <coughs> Not a good idea. So in every area, it works like this. Yes? Uh, what did you said go along with like retiring for um the people for those of us who are still in school, the summer is our retirement in a way. And it's really, really easy to be lazy in the summer. And I say this because usually I am. Um, to just sleep in till four. Um, <laughs> wow! In the morning? Early <laughs> yeah. yeah. uh, Just play around and do nothing in the summer because you know we don't have any responsibilities. You know, school's over. Uh, so I think that's easily. I mean, it's really easy to uh, fall into laziness in the summer. So we need to try and keep ourselves busy. Among teenagers, what muscles get most exercised in the summer? Yes, your thumbs. <laughs> Not good. Don't go there. But that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? And every, all, several of you were starting to say that. Because <laughs> that really shows us something right there. Wow. Alright. Uh, look at verse 12. Man, we are uh, way too uh, caught up in some things, aren't we? The wicked man desires the booty of evil men. But the root of the righteous yields fruit. Now, to a great extent, this is kind of extending on verse 11 in a little different way. What does the wicked man want? Quick gain. The gain that he sees evil men getting. You know, uh, a wicked man sees somebody robbing banks and making a lot of money, and he wants, he wants that too. He wants this wrong way of having stuff. And so he envies what he's doing. Whereas the root of the, root of the righteous yields fruit. The idea of the root of the righteous, I think it's still this idea of the righteous works hard and gains his fruit. Whereas the wicked man is envious of any easy, wrong way to accomplish his goals. 
You know, what about in school? <clears throat> the wicked man sees somebody getting good grades by cheating. And what does he do? Want to cheat too. The righteous man studies and works hard to get his grades. Now, is it right or wrong to cheat? It's wrong. It's dishonest. But let me ask you another question. Does it work to cheat in the long run? Why not? You don't learn anything. And then, you know, in most subjects, it's cumulative. What if you're in a foreign language? You're learning a foreign language and you start cheating. What happens next semester? You have no idea where you are. You don't understand enough to, to understand what, where you're lost at. You know, I mean, most disciplines, you've got to learn what you're learning for what you're going to have to learn next. If you cheat, not only is it wrong, but it's like you don't benefit yourself. In the long run, you're shooting yourself in the foot. You've got to know this stuff. Why do we cheat? We want to look smart and... Yeah, easy way out. We don't want to work. We don't want to put forth the effort. It's that mentality. You want the result, you don't want the work. That mentality is a very bad character flaw. We've got to put in our heart. We get the result because we work hard. How good does it feel to cheat your way into an A? always something nagging at you telling you you know that you didn't deserve that it doesn't really build your self-image it doesn't really give you self-respect and I won't ask a show of hands but I bet that several of you know what I'm talking about this is a big issue uh, for a lot of people and, and you know if you struggled with that just think about what that said about your willingness to discipline yourself to get the result. That is the deeper character issue that Proverbs talks about all the time. We've got to want to work hard to get what we're trying to get. And when we don't, wow, it's just a mess. Other kind, yeah, Cass. Like, you see, it's a huge thing, weight loss. And everybody wants to work out and everybody wants to get Slim, and everybody wants to be fit and you know look their best, and then you know they work out for two days and decide it's not worth it, and go back to eating a ton of food and and uh, all this stuff, and they want the results, but they don't work for it. Yeah, that's a great example. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, what would you like to lose weight? You know, maybe just some kind of a pill, and then you could eat anything you wanted to, and still you lose weight. You know, something like that. You know, we're always looking for a shortcut. You know, if, if that's your thing. I mean, some of you probably weight loss is not the thing you're really concerned about, but uh, well, whatever it is, uh, you know, we always want a quick, easy, painless way to accomplish the result. Don't think like that. Those results are not are not beneficial. You sound like an ad. I mean, you hear that on the radio all the time. This 
weight loss pill. You can eat what you want, and, and it goes back to the previous verse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sounds it, too good to be true. Exactly. John. You also have a, in part A, you have the person who's a taker, and in part B, you have the person who's a giver or a provider. And so that contrast is there, and, and you know Jesus tells us it's more blessed to give than to receive. So really, the, the ultimate blessing comes from that person who who yields rather than the one who's just always seeking to take. Though on the surface you think, oh, if I could just take, I'd be happier. And you're really not, but it's a, it, it deceives you. You think you will be much happier is the giver, but it's counterintuitive. Good point. Other thoughts? If there are enough wicked people and they're all taking stuff from each other, then you know, you're going to run out of stuff at some point. <laughs> there has to be somebody you know, somebody got to produce something. something yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah, you can't just live by everybody on the take. Other thoughts? Well, 13 and 14, in a way, kind of caps off this section. An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips. The righteous will escape from trouble. A man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his words, and the deeds of a man's hand will return to him. I think the end of that in verse 14 kind of summarizes. It's you reap what you sow. You get what you get. You know, the good man is blessed because he uh, blesses others. The wicked man is ensnared by his own trap. So what you give, you get back. You reap what you sow. There's no way around that principle in life because God is in charge of the universe. And he's going to make it that way. And so in the long run, you can't escape the consequences of your actions. That is Proverbs. That's the epitome of Proverbs. The consequences of your actions will catch up to you. Period. No way around that as long as God's still running the universe. Comments and thoughts? Cameron. Um, in the end of verse 13 it says, but the righteous will escape from trouble. In the New Testament we're told to flee from temptation. We're told to um, just get away from it. And here we're told that if we are righteous, we will escape. And so if we're fleeing, if we're being righteous, we will flee from temptation and we'll be able to escape them. Well, yeah, and it's almost like the righteous man, because he flees the temptation, escapes from the bad consequences falling into the temptation brings. You know, you do what's right, it's better in the long run. If you do what's wrong, it's worse, both now and in the long run. Other thoughts? All right. Uh, wow. Just uh, continues to be some really helpful things. Would somebody read uh, 15 to 23? A lot of 15 to 23 deals with words in some sense or another. So 15 to 23. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, 
but those who plan peace have joy. No ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. So in 15, how, how does the fool reason? He always thinks he's right. And therefore, how does a fool regard advice? Couldn't be better than what he already knows. Yeah. He's already right. Yeah. Unnecessary, annoying. You know, why is somebody trying to tell him something? He knows everything. You know, have you ever seen somebody who the only time he asks for advice is to try to get somebody to agree with his own opinion? You know... He doesn't ask for advice to actually learn something. It requires humility and maturity to seek and listen to good advice. Um, so think about wise people and fools in connection with this. You know, what kind of people are fools going to surround themselves with? Other fools. People who agree with them. What do we call those people? Yes men. <laughs> yes men. That's what I was thinking of. You know what a yes man is? Have you heard that term? Yes. Yeah. Have you seen the movie? Is there a movie called that? Yes. Oh, well, I don't know. Is that about people who are yes men? I don't know. A yes man is the guy who always tells you what you want to hear. The prophets of Ahab. Yes, absolutely. Remember, go up to Raymond Gilead and succeed. You know, why did they say that? Because the king feeds them. Ahab was paying them. <laughs> you pay the guy, he'll say anything you want him to say. <laughs> you know, so some people, the ones they talk to, and the ones they ask for advice from are the people who always tell them what they want to hear. You know, there's a certain class of people who will do that. There are people who are only concerned about pleasing other people. They want other people to like them. You can be sure, if you let them know as you ask for advice what you really want them to say, they'll say back to you just exactly what you wanted them to. And so you go to all those people, and how does that make you feel? Makes you feel good. Makes you feel like I'm making the right decision. You know, ask for a lot of advice, and everybody told me to do what I was going to do. Are there certain people you avoid to ask for advice from? Yeah, those annoying people who sometimes tell you you're wrong. They're probably the people you need to listen to. You know, a wise person will surround himself with people who are wise and bold and who actually confront and who actually disagree. You learn so much more from those people. And so, this is a really key proper. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Thoughts? It can be kind of manipulative sometimes, like phrasing your questions in a way that they'll tell you what you want. You're exactly right. Or even, this is kind of off the subject, but we'll do this sometimes. Um, what if you're in an argument? Let's just, you know, you and your best friend are having a real problem between you. And so you go to somebody for advice. 
but the way you describe the situation, obviously you're right. Because you really doctored up the facts and the situation in such a way that everybody would say you were right. You know, you weren't really honest and complete in presenting the case. We can do that. And we can pretty much guarantee we'll get the counsel we want to hear. You know, so think about that. That's another way. Why is it that we don't want to hear the best counsel? If you want to hear the best counsel, be the most honest when you're telling them about the situation. It goes back to what we talked about earlier. You don't want to admit that you're wrong. You want someone to tell you that you're right and you should do what you want to do. Exactly. It's a hard thing. But we're so much better. If we just understand, if we get told we're wrong, That'll help us correct ourselves, and we'll be righter. <laughs> you know, that's what we're really looking for. Look at 60. <laughs> Isn't this true? A fool's anger is known at once. Why? Can't yeah, exactly. Man, you upset a fool, he immediately starts venting his feelings. You'll know it. You know, he has no control over his emotions. So you make him mad, and boy, he'll start spluttering and blowing up on you, just like that. <laughs> but a, a, a prudent man conceals dishonor. He has the ability to control his emotional display. You know, he thinks before he speaks. He lets himself calm down before he shows how he feels. He doesn't immediately reveal to everyone that he's been insulted and, you know, he's mad about it. Much wiser. We have to have the ability not to manifest every emotion we go through and to really think for a while. You know a good thing to do when you get hurt or insulted or upset by somebody? Sleep on it. You know, I know how I am. This is the proverb for me. I am really bad when I just hear something and respond. Some of you know me well enough to know that. That's, that's my worst time. Because my immediate response is way too strong. Sometimes even an hour, I'll respond much better. Much more balanced. You know, sleeping on it's even better for me. If I can wait till the next day. Usually for me, if, if by the next day I still feel pretty strongly about it, then it probably is something that needs to be said. But on a lot of things, by the next day, I don't feel that way anymore. And if I had, if I had or in the times when I do just vent how I feel, it's very unwise. Good proverb, really, really practical. Comments and thoughts? Alright, and, and in verse 17, I mean, here's the difference between a liar and an honest man. And uh, literally, verse 17, he who breathes truth tells what is right. <laughs> you know, what's the difference between speaking truth and breathing truth? Like, it's something you're doing and everyone can see even though you're not saying. Yeah. 
Exactly. You would breathe truth because who you are, that's what you do all the time. Exactly. That's what we need. To be an honest person. What does a false witness tell? Deceit. That's who he is. That's what he does. You know, you can just count on it. A false witness, a dishonest person always puts his spin on things. He always distorts things. To make a good impression, to try to, uh, you know, sway votes or whatever. You know, so really, we're either honest people or dishonest people. And that's going to come out in everything we say and do. Are there some people you just never really believe what they're saying? Yeah, I see several in the life. Why? Because they're just dishonest people. Nearly anything they say is going to be colored. It's going to be warped in some way. Are there are there a few people that you'd put you'd put money in the bank on what they're saying? You know, they are absolutely honest. Even if it hurts them, they will just be honest. I don't know a lot of people like that. But I really respect the people I do know who are like that. You know, because I see they are not trying to distort things. They're honest. Sometimes they may even, you know, have some other problems. But you respect the fact that they're not, you know, trying to, you know, mislead you. And uh, so I, I think that's really, we really need that, you know, to really think about that. Thoughts through 17? In 18, there's one who speaks rashly, like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Words usually are either helpful or harmful. You know, and a guy who's rash in what he says, it's like just swinging a sword wildly through a crowd. What would you say about somebody who brings a sword to a social occasion and just starts brandishing it? Uh. Yeah, ah. <laughs> I'm like, ah. Well, what, what, what's, what's the characteristic of that person? You'd say that person is very psychotic. psychotic. <laughs> Wild and uncontrolled. Wild, uncontrolled. Unwise. Unwise is closer. I'm thinking irresponsible. This is like, wow, you don't do that with a deadly weapon. It's like somebody going out with a gun and just starting, you know, fire it off at random. You know, that's, you, that, that's not responsible. You don't do that. Well, your words are just like a sword. And the guy just blurts out everything. Just, just speaks randomly, whatever comes to his mind. He hurts people. You know, a wise person will avoid speech that just embitters and erects barriers. A wise person thinks before he speaks. A foolish person just throws out the words, anything he feels he gives vent to. There's a lot to self-control and restraint in these Proverbs. And then 19, truthful lips 
be established forever. They, they're strong. They have staying power. A lying tongue, it's just, it, it's gone. It's exposed shortly. Most lies don't last long, but truth will endure. And when someone's found out to be a liar, then, you know, everything that they do is under question now. So, uh, you know, that's, no one's going to listen to them. It is a horrible thing about lying. Lying breaks trust. And how long does lying break trust for? You see why? Because you never know after that if it's honest. When you have to question the honesty and you're not sure. See, we don't have a meter on our forehead that says how honest we're being. So if somebody lies to you, then you suspi you're suspicious every time they speak. You can't trust them. And sometimes it takes a long time and sometimes never totally do you feel that you can trust them again. You know, I mean, those things happen, see, in husband-wife relationships. When the trust of the marriage bond is broken, and he had to work late, it's always like, I wonder what that means. And it's horrible. It just destroys relationships. And it's like, man, if we would just never, ever, why? In any situation, no matter what, there are a few people that I really trust what they're saying. I really believe if they tell me something, I'm sure about it. But there's not many people like that. And it's horrible. Even among Christians, we can, man, we just destroy our trust in each other because we lie to each other. It's one of the most detrimental things in, in relationships between people. I think probably come to the point that's one of my most passionate exhortations. Be honest. It's so important to everything else. Thoughts? I work in a chemistry lab and you know we test medicines to make sure that they're safe. And there was this one guy who um, you know, was following this test procedure, and he, he, he did something wrong, but you know, he kind of fudged it to make it look like he did it right. And you know, it was the most trivial thing. I mean, it would have cost him 10, 20 minutes to fix it. But when we realized that, and then you know, everything that he had been doing up until then was suspect. You know, how many other things had he fudged? You know, how is this impacting you know, the, the quality of the stuff that we're testing? And you know, they just... And let him go right at that. It's exactly what happens when you're caught in a lie. When, when, when you lie and somebody realizes you have, then what do you start doing? I wonder about this. I wonder about that. They told me this. They said that. And you start retroactively questioning back everything you've ever heard from that person. So it, destroy, it destroys trust in the future and in the past. If we only understood... You know, Proverbs like this are just so valuable. Truthful lips will be established forever. 
But a lying tongue is for the moment. Such a powerful statement. So true. God wants to save us from the problems we create when we do the wrong thing. If we listen and apply these things. Other thoughts? A similar story. Uh, years ago in the early 90s, I worked with a man. Really respected him a lot. But he had been uh, mailing things, personal things, through the company uh, Federal Express account and signing off so the company would pay for it rather than him. And, you know, again, it was, it was a trivial thing to the company, but yet they, they, they caught him in it and had the proof. And they confronted him with this, and he lied. And they, as with Ryan's situation, they let him go right then. Of course, the, the, truth, the truth of the whole story didn't come out immediately because the, the company just doesn't share that kind of information. So upon first blush, you thought, oh, the company's being so unfair with this person. How could they, what did he, could he have done to, to deserve this? But the explanation that was ultimately given was they told him, you are in a position of trust. And now you have broken that trust with your lie. We can't keep you in this job anymore. And so that the impact of that, of that lie was just huge to his character and the position that he held. And upon further thought, it's like, well, you're right. How could you keep him around? It's really true. It's really a, a sad thing about lies. Carl, and, uh, something that, that's also true about lies is that they build on each other. And I've been at people's <coughs> homes where they've answered the phone and said, well, so-and-so's not here, and they're sitting right there. I've been in Christian homes where they're saying, no, they can't, they're not here, I can't talk to you, they're not here, or whatever, and they're trying to fudge it so they're not really lying, but they're lying. Or I've been with someone who answers a cell phone and they will say, I can't talk right now because I'm doing whatever when they're just talking to me, and I'm thinking, well, I wonder what they did that when I called them. Yeah, exactly! Those kind of things, you just, you're building up the ability to lie about greater and greater things. And it's so simple to do something like that, and I'll, I call them on it when I see people do those. You just told a lie. You just lied to that person outright. And all liars have their part in the lake of fire. So, uh, and why would we tell a lie like that? Yeah, out of convenience or don't want to hurt their feelings or something. You know, I don't no, want to talk to you right no. now. <laughs> it's not. We say we don't want to hurt their feelings, right. but what's our truth? We want to be honest. It's a selfish. We don't want to deal with it right now. We don't want. What do we really not want? We don't want them to know that I don't really want to talk to you. Why don't we want them to know that? Because they love us. Yeah. Yes, we want their approval. We don't want them to not like us. So we distort the facts to try to be more likable. So they will like us more. Isn't that what we do? That's such a big motive. And we all, I, you know, I. I think, I, I've told this story before, but this happened to me several years ago. I, I have not normally been the kind of person who just made something up. You know, I've not normally been the sort of person that just denied something that was, was true. I remember one time doing that when I was 10, and I couldn't sleep until I told my parents I'd lie, because it really bothered my conscience. But uh, several years ago, I was telling somebody something I'd done wrong. And when I got to the end of the story, I'm like, I wasn't honest with you. Because what I had done, I had doctored up the facts, I would colored it so much 
that it wasn't an accurate presentation of, of what had happened. I tried to make myself look better. And it dawned on me, you know, I think I'm not a liar. But when I say things that are not an accurate representation of the truth, I'm lying. You know, we have other ways of describing it that don't sound so harsh. But it was really what I did at night. Because what I'd said did not conform to reality because I was trying to make myself look better. I, that was really kind of shocking to me because I had never realized I did that. And then I started thinking back and realized I do that a lot. And that's really dishonest. We just really need to have the highest priority. Honesty. Truth. It is not required that we tell everything. There are times we just ought to keep our mouth shut. I think that's what this is saying. <laughs> but if we're going to speak, what we say must conform to the facts. We need to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. And when we don't, what John was saying, you break the trust. When you break the trust, then you can't be trusted. You know, you have to look over the guy's shoulder in everything. Did, did, did he always budge the experiments? Surely not. But you don't know. Because you know he's willing to. It's horrible. So, verse 20. Deceits in the heart of those who do devise evil, but counsels of peace have joy. You know, what we do, you know, springs from our heart. That's really where the problem lies. And then we create the situation that affects other people. Verse 21, no harm befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. You know, again, we're seeing the results of the behavior. And why? Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. Ultimately, the reason why righteousness is rewarded and wickedness is punished is because God is God. And because he punishes wickedness and he blesses righteousness. He punishes lying and he delights in those who deal faithfully. That's the thing. Because God is God, then you will not escape in this universe being wicked and thinking that everything will be okay. You won't escape being dishonest and get by with it long term because God is the one who's in charge. We have to come to think about God's role in everything we do because God is the one who sees to it that the consequences follow. God's world is ultimately a world of justice. Now he does not pay all of his accounts the next day. But ultimately God is God. And we cannot expect the consequences to not happen based upon what we do and what we say. Thoughts and comments through 22. Yes, Jacob. Um, think about verse 20, you know, about the counselors of peace and joy. I think a lot of times, you know, when we're tempted either to lie or, you know, do something, you know, dishonest, you know, try to get something quick, I think a lot of times, you know, we're thinking, you know, that'll make us happy, you know, we'll be, you know, we'll be happy with that. Really, you know, once we have, you know, love for God or, 
you know, depending on what we, you know, our priorities are. But when we do those things, well, those are the things that give us joy. So, you know, when we, you know, help other people because we have a love for them or we're doing what God wants us to do because we love Him, and that's the thing that will give us joy and not just these um, temporary things. Good point. Exactly. Other thoughts? Yes, John. In 21, you know, we might look at that and think, really? Is that is that really the way things play out with what I see going on around me? Um, normally, yes. Always in the long run. Yeah, I think that's, that's exactly right. I mean, pretty much the wicked are filled with trouble. <laughs> There's not many examples where that's not the case pretty quickly. There are times when temporarily there may be a harm to the righteous or it looked harmful. You know, kind of like Joseph in Egypt. Did harm befall him? Well, it depends on how you look at it. In the short run, you would have thought so. But he looked back and saw it as a blessing from God. <laughs> Some things that seem harmful right then are a blessing. Ethan. Is 21 um, talking about physical or is it talking about like mental because with Christ, we have um, peace within us, and the wicked don't have that. You're exactly right. So even if the wicked have success, it's full of trouble, mm -hmm. because their conscience and their heart is corrupt. Good points. Look at 23. He says, a prudent man conceals knowledge but the heart of fools proclaims folly why would a prudent man conceal knowledge it might be a bragging thing you wouldn't want to do that you might not want to cast your pearls before swine yes it, a waste of your breath it might be or it might even be counterproductive yeah, Carl? It's not the concept of hiding it in your heart, of, of keeping it within, so that it's always with you. No, I don't think so. I think it's I think it's the idea. There are just some times and places that is not appropriate to speak. You know, or to speak right then. You know, a prudent man doesn't show all his cards. He realizes there's a time and place to speak and there's a time to be quiet. A prudent man, you don't always know what he's thinking. Yes? Maybe you're trying to influence someone and you're in a group and you realize that the group setting is not the place to say something to person X. But when you have them alone by themselves, then you have maybe a better chance to influence them because you knew the rest of, of the folks would not, you know, would have been counter to anything you might have said. Good point. There's a lot of illustrations of that. I think about this situation. What about maybe uh, I, I would relate this maybe to a parent. As a parent, I always wanted to know more about my children than they knew I knew. I didn't tell them everything I knew about them. One, for one thing, it kind of was a way of me testing their honesty at times, you know, and and it just it was it was beneficial to me to know some things that there was no purpose to reveal, I didn't reveal it. I did that a lot. There's, there's times when, you know, we like, sometimes we like to just tell everything we know, but there are times when it's not really good, there's not much benefit in that. Better to conceal it. Now, you can see it also if you look at the opposite. 
But the heart of fools proclaims folly. You know, the fool just tell everything he's got in his head. You know, and of course what that shows you is he has nothing in his head. You know, by what he says, you realize how empty it is. You know, he blurts out his opinions at the most inappropriate moments. He's dogmatic about what he thinks when wiser men would be cautious. You know, it's like he has no shut-off mouth. You know, it's just everything comes out of his mouth. And, and, and how do you look at people like that? Foolish. You don't take them seriously. I had a friend one time that she had a problem with just talking, 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 and never stopping. And somebody said right in the middle of a conversation, have you ever had a thought you didn't speak? And it was the worst thing. She was so insulted, but it was absolutely right. Most of us had already been thinking it. And she, she improved after that. She really got a lot better, but it was, it was sad to see. Uh, yeah, that's the idea. You don't just go to the mouth with everything that crosses your mind. Kevin. In the New Testament, Jesus talks about um, how we should take the lower seat so that they will come to us and have us come to a higher place, and not take the higher seat or whatever. And we can apply that to um, speaking. If we're wise, we need to give them some, but not to go talking all about. Because you might not have the wisest words on this subject. And you want them to come to you and ask you. Because they want to hear the wise words, if they're wise. Not the person who doesn't know as much. And yet they're talking as much as they can. Because they want to look all good. They want to look all top of the line. But really, they need to be put in their place at the bottom and have the wise people talking. Excellent. Pride makes us talk too much. Yeah. John? I've actually known people, though, who, who take great uh, pleasure in, in letting people know, but I speak my mind. <laughs> yes. yes! People will say that. That's, a, I virtue. Said that's a virtue. Yeah. Chris? And yet we all been around conversations and we just can't help ourselves, but Put ourselves in a conversation if we know something that's being talked about or the other thing that gets me a lot is when somebody tells you something oh did you know did you know it's raining and everybody's like, i already knew that yeah i knew that i heard that the other day you know it just what is it about that that you know can i tell you it's raining and you already know it without you letting me know and does that somehow make you smaller or, or does it make you greater but but we do that often that is very common they, you know, I saw this movie. That, oh, I saw it last week. The one up mission. Yeah. Yeah, or even like you say, I saw this movie. Oh, I saw this movie. Yeah. You know, you, you start telling something, and we want to tell Arthur. Mm -hmm. You know, and almost wish you'd shut up so we could tell Arthur. You know, you can kind of tell it. You know, we, we jump in as soon as we can to shift the subject from something about you to something about me. Because it's a lot more interesting to talk about me than it is to talk about you. <laughs> Have you noticed that? <laughs> it's funny the way that is, isn't it? I wonder if everybody else thinks it's more interesting to talk about them than to talk about us. <laughs> you know? uh, there's just a lot of virtue in controlling what we speak. Proverbs does say a lot about the value of right words. It's not that words are bad. Obviously, Proverbs is in writing. But you speak best when you restrain yourself and you speak the right things at the right times. And not just, you know, not having a thought you haven't expressed. That's a good way of saying that. Not that. 
In Proverbs, we really learn the purpose of our words. And there are many times of the purpose that we are normally accustomed to, where we use our words to try to impress, to try to show off. Just in these Proverbs, we just learn, you know, our words are for truth, our words for healing. Um, our words are to, you know, perhaps gain wisdom. Um, that should change the way we should we should talk, and then the reason why we talk, and what we, what we even talk about. It's not so that we can build ourselves up, it's so that we may learn, that we may heal other people, that we may teach other people, and, and if we're, that's really our goal, we're not going to be concerned about those other things. Excellent point. That's exactly right. It changes a lot. We've got the right goal, then we recognize at certain times, certain things are best left unsaid. Other thoughts? I wrote down uh, something I read from someone else on this. It's, they said, you'll never learn wisdom if you never stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, you, it's a good point. I mean, we learn a lot if we'll listen. And there's a difference between listening and listening. You ever listen when what you're really thinking about is what you're going to say next? You know, it takes some concentration to listen and some unselfishness. And this is an example of that. Um, uh, I've talked to a lot of people who are, are very active in evangelism and, and, and sharing the gospel with their friends. And I think it's interesting that the most successful evangelists are not the ones who go to the talking, but the ones who know how to listen and know how to ask the right questions. Um, not the ones who are just talking about them. That, that can be a lesson for all of us when we see, well, you know, we're not good, great talkers, we're not, we, we don't know everything. Well, it's not all the time what it takes. It, just, it takes to learn to listen as well. You ever done this? Has anyone ever come to you for help or advice? And you really didn't say very much, you listened well, and by the time you got done, they said, oh man, you've helped me so much. I really appreciate that. It wasn't really so much that you said something that helped, it's that you listened well and helped. You, li you know, somebody comes to you and they really are burdened and they need to talk. If you're listening well, besides just keeping your mouth shut while they're talking, what will you do? If you're really listening well, what will you do? Your body language will show that. Yes, you'll show it that you're paying attention bodily. What else? Yeah, verbally acknowledge too. Yes. That you're understanding their thoughts. Yes. And even go a step further sometimes. When you feel the way they do, you'll display emotion. I mean, you'll, it'll be evident. Yes, that you care, that you're empathizing. And what will you... What might be the first things you would say? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> yes! You may ask them questions because you care and you're interested and so you start asking them so they can even talk more and, and explain more things that you want to know about their situation. How do you feel when you're really you're excited about something, you're upset about something, whatever, and you want to talk about it, you start talking to somebody, and they're supportive, and they say, and so, so how was that for you? Or, you know, they start asking you questions. Usually it shows they're really interested. They really care. 
because you like to talk about it. It's something you wanted to talk about and they give you more opportunity because they're empathizing and they're actually, and so what happened then? You know, and they, and you, you feel like they actually listen to me. They care about me. As opposed to the person who, you know, just the moment you take a breath, they're full of talking. Stephen? Uh, there's a guy I knew. He, uh, he was a supervisor of a milling company. And he ended up having a stroke on a job site. And uh, now he's working for Frisch's. And he just he said that, you know, he had worked so hard from being a supervisor. And now just to the average day-by-day worker, you know, flipping burgers and everything, you know. And one thing is, he, they told him why that they fired him was because he couldn't, he wouldn't be able to think as quickly for certain situations that might just occur. Well, you have, if you're going to respond well, you have to think, you have to listen, and you have to be willing to respond. So it really does help if you're listening. John? I, I still haven't learned this lesson, but guys are, are typically prone to wanting to problem solve. So if somebody yes. comes and shares something with yes. us, especially uh, it happens to be our wives, yes. and they want to share something with us, they're not always looking, in fact, they're not usually looking for a solution, they just need to share. And, and yet, my first reaction is, i got to solve this problem. Yes. And, and that isn't what they're after. And, and recently I had somebody who came to me, and it wasn't a, a lady, it was a guy. And he had a problem in his life, and he just needed to share it with someone. And so he was telling me about this problem. And pretty much right off the bat, he was telling me, now, I don't need you to solve this problem for me. He probably told me that three times. And finally, by the third time, I started to catch on that I just needed to be quiet and listen and not try to throw out solutions. But that, that is so hard for me to not immediately want to problem solve. Yes, that Chris? is so confusing when you solve the problem and then the situation's worse. <laughs> Guys, those of you who are not married, you'll learn. <laughs> that is absolutely true. I don't know, is that true for you, Carl? Did you agree with that? I agree with that. Okay. <laughs> you know, I would say, you know, what John said, you know, twice as loud. That, that's exactly right. Guys, when you get married, your wife wants you to care. She doesn't want you to solve her problem. That's amazing. Because for guys, more often, that's the way we think. We view caring as helping solve the problem. They view caring as listening and showing compassion and concern. And that is a very difficult thing to learn. Start working on it now. You'll need it. <laughs> keep working on it later. Yes. Just to follow up with that, uh, the saying that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So. You know, trying to really understand the other person that says the root. And, and absolutely, and I think that is true in just other interpersonal things too. And I see myself doing the same thing sometimes in interpersonal relationships outside of my wife. And you know, I, I can think about someone in here uh, that I did that to not real long ago. And I realized after I'd done it, ah, eh, that wasn't the right thing. You know, because before I even showed that I cared about what they were going through. I was immediately responding to try to help them, you know, deal with it. 
but I needed to first really acknowledge my concern for them and for what the situation was. And I immediately went into solutions mode before I went into caring mode. I cared, but I didn't show it. And there's a lot, listening a lot, and thinking about how we're listening, and really caring, and getting our mind off of ourselves. Sometimes all we want to think about is us. Okay. Many times they're giving us a picture, but we see it as a puzzle. And I know <laughs> me especially, cool. I, I like, I see it and I'm like, now I need to start putting this puzzle together. So I start taking it apart and I start trying to put it together again. But I really should not have messed with it at all. And there's already the picture in front of me. Okay. That's, that's cool. Alright, well I went longer on uh, this than I intended to. Let's take a break and uh, we'll come back and start working on 20. Read in Proverbs 12, verse 24 to 28. The hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good, but a good word makes it glad. The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. The lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is man's precious possession. In the way of the righteous is life, and in its pathway there is no death. At least some of these proverbs in this section deal with working hard. Uh, look at 24. Uh, what do you see as the difference in the outcome between the diligent and the lazy? What is in charge and the one who's, who's under charge? Yes. That's kind of interesting if you stop and think about it. The guy who works hard ends up having to make the lazy work hard. Yes. Almost the opposite of their pursuit. If the lazy don't work hard, then they end up having to work harder working for someone else. The guy who works really hard ends up being in charge and in some ways working less hard. You know, that, that's kind of ironic that the hand of the diligent ends up ruling and the, and the slack hand ends up being the forced labor. Ends up having to perform the most burdensome tasks because he wasn't really willing to put his hand to the work. You want to not have to work hard? Work hard. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? But there's a lot of truth to that. Comments or thoughts on that one? Look at 25. This is so true. What happens when you're worried and stressed? You're weighed down. Yeah. We'd say you're depressed. depressed. Isn't that our term? We love to talk about being depressed. But in this case, it's your heart is weighted down. Same idea. You know, those things just really burden you. There's nothing like mental stress and, and anxiety. I mean, that, that just hurts you worse than physical suffering does. What can help you in that situation? Yeah, a word of encouragement from somebody who cares about you can kind of lift that burden. It can make you lighter. It can be encouraging. There's nothing really to think about. 
you know, how important we can be in lifting the burden of somebody who's down because of their stress and anxiety. Thoughts? John? So, somebody explain this uh, a little bit as, as anxiety in your heart is listening to your inner voice. You know, sometimes what, what, what plays around in our minds is, is not good. You know, we start, we kind of start this downward spiral. We listen to ourselves, we think within ourselves, and, and the, the external good word can, can really be a help to us in a situation like that. Exactly. Yes. It, we need help from someone else in that situation, and we need to be the person to be willing to lend a hand to help or lend a word of encouragement to help. Cameron? When I think of a good word, it's like, like you guys said, encouragement, but I also think of God's word. What's, better, what's a better word than God's own word? And whenever you are weighed down by things of this life, and you, you just take some time out of your day to calm down and read God's word, I don't know, but it, to me, it really does make it more peaceful, make it more joyful to calm me down. Very good. Glad. Very good point. I've often thought in my own life what a blessing it is that I teach so many Bible studies. Because so, so often there are times when I'm down or stressed, when I'm teaching a Bible study, it's hard to teach the Bible without getting into it. And once you refocus and start getting into the Lord's Word, when I quit the study, it's like, the feeling I had is not the same. Whatever stressful thing doesn't look the same after I've really focused on the word. Ethan? It's like when stress and anxiety is beating down on me, um, everything seems to be against you, but when you force yourself to sit down and study God's word, then it all just, just disappears. It's amazing, isn't it? It's, uh, we've got to make sure we remember that at those times and apply that. And then in 26, here's, you know, this idea of being cautious and choosing friends. Now, there is a debate about the translation of this. What translation did you have, Paul? Is that what, is that what you read, didn't you? Who read? Yeah, okay. And, and read your 26 again out of yours. The righteous should, should choose his friends carefully. Yes. Uh, anybody got the NIV? Yeah, what have you got there, Jacob? The righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the, but the way of the wicked lead them astray. Yeah, that's the New American Standard, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Anybody got the New International? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. Okay. What's what's your right? Choose their friends carefully, but the way the wicked leads them astray. Yeah. Same idea. The New International and the King James. I think that's probably better. Be wise about choosing your friends. That's probably the more accurate translation of that half, which is a good uh, lesson. Why is it important to be careful about how you choose your friends? Yeah, absolutely. They have a lot of influence on you. They can really help you, or they can really drag you down. Uh, and you see that all over the Bible. Um, even, you know, God's concerned with the influence of the Canaanites over the Israelites and the things like that. So be cautious about choosing your friends. Uh, the way of the wicked leads them astray. Um, so that's a good warning for us. And then in 27, we're back to the lazy man again. Do you understand the first part of 27? What's he saying? 
So why not? You didn't feel like putting it in a pot. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late. So yes. So what does that tell you about laziness? gets the job half done. <laughs> and how much good is a half-cooked, uh, you know, prey? Or an uncooked prey, in this case. Give me sound, no. Yeah. <laughs> Can't even get your teeth through it. You know, it's like, what a waste. You know, you go to the effort of, of killing the animal, but then you're too worn out to cook it. So you don't follow through. The lazy person doesn't follow through on his projects. He wastes what little bit he does by not finishing the job, and so it's worthless. Can you imagine that? Being too lazy to cook the game you killed? Or maybe, I'll tell you what would happen in our culture. How many of you, maybe not that many, how many of you have hunted? Oh, a decent number, okay. Um, what's, the, what's the downside of hunting after you've killed the animal. Feel dressing, dressing it. Dressing it. Yeah. And we don't mean putting a bonnet on it. Uh, yeah. It's work. So, you know, can you imagine somebody, you know, they had they took one thing after to kill it, but then ah, dressing it was gonna be too hard. They just let it go. Wow. Do you see the foolishness of laziness? You know, just waste what effort we put into it. The precious possession of man is diligence. Hard work and diligence, follow through, is so helpful. It is stressful to be lazy because you just accumulate all these half-finished projects and all these burdens and responsibilities that you need to do but you didn't get them done. You know, I did that the other day with my taxes. I got them almost figured, almost finished. And then I didn't follow through and actually get them mailed off. And that's still hanging over me. You know, it would have been so much less stressful if I took the other 30 minutes and gotten it completely done. Instead of having to now semi-reinvent the wheel to get the job done. You know, why are we like that? You know, we need to just finish it. Thoughts and comments? And then 28, the outcomes. The outcome of righteousness, life. And in its pathway, there's no death. What a blessing to be in the way of righteousness. So much better. So much more helpful in the long run. All right, things that you'd like to say and ask about chapter 12. Well, that was a two-hour chapter. Uh, 